0: Welcome to Heart, Soul, and Mind, the podcast from Centenary United Methodist Church. I'm Dr. Glenn Kinken, Senior Minister here at Centenary. My hope is that this podcast will give you some good news for your journey today.
1: Our scripture reading for today is from the, is from the book of James, chapter 2, verses 1 through 17. My dear brothers and sisters, how can you claim to have faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ if you favor some people over others? For example, suppose someone comes into your meeting dressed in fancy clothes and expensive jewelry, and another comes in who is poor and dressed in dirty clothes. If you give special attention and a good seat to the rich person, but you say to the poor one, you can stand over there or I'll sit on the floor. Well, doesn't this discrimination show that your judgments are guarded by evil motives? Listen to me, dear brothers and sisters. Hasn't God chosen the poor in this world to be rich in faith? Aren't they the ones who will inherit the kingdom he promised to those who love him? But you dishonor the poor, isn't it the rich who oppress you and drag you into court? Aren't they the ones who will slander Jesus Christ, who noble name you bear? Yes, indeed, it is good when you obey the royal law, as found in the scriptures, love your neighbor as yourself. But if you favor some people over others, you are committing a sin. You are guilty for breaking the law. For the person who keeps all laws except one is as guilty as a person who has broken all of God's laws. For the same God who said, you must not commit adultery, also said, you must not murder. So if you murder someone but do not commit adultery, you still have broken the law. So whatever you say or whatever you do, remember that you will be judged by the law that sets you free. There will be no mercy, for those who have no, not shown mercy to others, but if you have been merciful, God will be merciful when He judges you. What good is it, dear? What good is it, dear brothers and sisters, if you say you have faith but do not show it in your actions? Can that kind of faith save anyone? Suppose you see a brother or sister who has no food or clothing, and you say goodbye and have a good day, stay warm and eat well, but when, but then you give, then you don't give that person any food or clothing. What good does that do? So you see, faith by itself isn't enough unless it produces good deeds. It is dead and useless. This is the word of God for all God's people. Thanks Thanks be to to God.
0: So all morning, our scriptures have been read by children. Jesus said, let us approach faith like a child. I think hearing the word read by children gives us a new insight. Let us pray. Almighty and gracious God, I humbly ask that you would take the words that we hear this morning and that you would plant them deep in our hearts. Plant them deep in our hearts so that they may grow and that we would become towering trees of faith, that we would walk out of this place transformed to be not just hearers of your word, but doers of your word. Your son's holy name, we pray. Amen. So there's a band that I listen to out of Newfoundland. It's, the band is called Great Big C. We'll talk about the style of music later. It's well, it's sort of imagine Celtic alternative fusion. Uh, I don't know; it doesn't do it justice. But anyway, they've got a song there that's a ballad of John Barber. And so it would happen in days of old; they would write these ballads. And so this band has resurrected it and given it new life. But in the ballad, there is this young woman, a teenage girl, early twenties, somewhere thereabouts, sitting by the shore, looking out on the water. And she's sort of sad and forlorn looking. And her father, the king, he comes to her as any good father would do. He says, he sees that she's not well. And he says, my dear, what's wrong with you? Are you sick? And then that moment of what I would call parental clarity, he says, or are you in love? Hoping, I think for a moment in time, I think he's hoping that maybe she's just not feeling well, but I think he knows the truth. And so she's sitting there looking out upon the ocean, he says, I'm not sick. I'm in love. And the father then recomposes himself in this moment of time because he is the king and all. And he says, well, is he a duke or a knight or someone of wealth and fame? And then again, another one of those parental clarity moments, she's looking out over the ocean. And he thinks to himself, surely it's not one of those dirty, foul mouthed lowly sailors that I command. And he says to her, or is it a sailor? And she says, it's not a duke or a knight, nor a man of wealth or fame, but it is a lowly sailor man. And the father goes, tell me his name. And so she tells him the name is John Barber. He says, well, John Barber, his name, then hang it. He will be meaning that I'm going to hang him as soon as I see him. I mean, great family dynamics, right? I don't want you to be in love. I want you to be sick. Oh, you are in love. It's got, I'll hang him. Great. Note to self. But anyway, he says it. So then the ships come into port. And so he calls all the sailors down and he's going to take care of business straight out of the gate. So he calls, he says, I want to see all the sailors. And the first one I want to see is John Barber but he doesn't come. And so then all of the other sailors are coming. He's talking to him. And then all of a sudden the back of the hall, the door flies open and in comes this man and he's tall and he's got blonde flowing hair and a great big robe. He looks like Fabio, if you will, for those of you remember that. And he looks like that. And all of a sudden, you know, the king is even in trance. He's like, I would be in love with him almost. And he says, who are you? And the king says, who's asking for me? I'm John Barber. And the whole room changes. Because apparently, even when he was on the ship, the sailors didn't know who he was. The sailors didn't know that John Barber, their lowly, dirty, smelly, foul-mouthed sailor friend, apparently was, wow, great. I mean, he's got good clothes, he's got good teeth, he's got great hair, all of these things. And so the king, he says. Well, if you're John Barber, then marry my, marry my daughter and, and take charge of all my lands, have everything I own. And John Barber looks at him and says, Oh, I'll marry your daughter. All right. I'm looking forward to that. I love her, but I don't need your land because guess what? If you can give her one gold piece, I can give her three. Meaning, oh, poor King, I have even more money and land than you have. So of course, this song is a great song. It's a lot of fun. The band makes it sound great, but there's a story that goes on. I mean, this is the kind of story that Disney latches onto and makes movies about, right? I mean, you know, the, the undercover prince or something like that. I mean, they, they do these kinds of things and everybody sort of enjoys these ballads when they were written because it reminded us that sometimes that what we see is not what really is there's more to us than meets the eye. It's the adage that I grew up with. Don't judge a book by its cover. Get to know what's going on inside. Know the story between the jacket, the story that unfolds in the pages. So as we continue in uh, our lesson this week in our scripture with with James, James, remember he's writing to the early Christians and he's writing about that confluence where faith and life meet, where they run together and he wants them to pay attention, but he challenges them. Remember he says, faith without action is dead. It's meaningless. Faith and work, faith and action cannot be separate. You can't have one without the other. They've got to both happen. See, because we act, and you and I know this, we act upon our beliefs. For example, if you, if you go to a store and you like their product and you like it a lot, what do you do? You tell your friends about it, right? You have your favorite restaurant. You've told all your friends about it. You go to it time and time again, you have that company that you like their product, you like their, their way of doing business. And so what do you do? You believe in them enough that you invest in them. You buy stock in that company. Well, my friends, I believe that if we believe deeply in God's love, then we act out of God's love. We love our neighbors as ourselves. And so we have that passage. James reminds us of that, that we believe that deeply that we should love our neighbors as ourselves because God loved us so much. James is challenging the early Christians and even you and I to this day about how we view humanity, how we see each other and the people that we meet. You know, in the Roman Empire at that time, they had the whole, they had life very well compartmentalized. They liked structure and order. The Romans are great for stuff like that, along with roads and orders of, you know, government. They were, they were great on structure though. And so their whole society, everybody had their place, everyone had their lane or their box, their silo, however you want to look at it. So you had the rich, you had the nobles and the leaders and the senators and you had the shopkeepers all the way down to the peasants. And everything was great as long as everyone stayed in their lane and they stayed focused on what they were to do. And the, the groups never mixed except for in transactional settings. And then the early church comes about and the other church throws its doors open and says, y'all come on in. They probably said it in Latin, but they said, y'all come on in. And everybody came all walks of life, all parts of the stratification of society walked in the door, except despite the fact that we said y'all are all welcome. They held on a little bit from time to time to their Roman sense of order. And so someone would come in the back door and it would be one of the rich people. They would say, oh, come on up. We've got great seats for you right down front. Someone else would say, oh, you kind of look like the middle of the nave kind of crew people. So here, y'all sit there in the middle. And if you walked in and you were poor and lowly, as it says, poor and lowly and dirty, they said, you know what, I tell you what, why don't you stand over there? Or if you're too tired of standing, you can sit on the floor. It'll be okay. So the rich got the best seats. The rich seemed to get catered to. And and James was saying, whoa, 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 this idea of favoritism, this partiality is not in keeping with God's law. It's not in keeping with what we heard and what we learned that Jesus taught us out of Leviticus. Love your neighbor as yourself. This idea of partiality when you come into worship doesn't play into that. And he says, if that's truly the case, if we want to love our neighbors as ourselves, then partiality has no place In God's kingdom. It's what James is telling the the early Christians, but he's telling us that as well. Tells us that partiality has no place. Instead, that we've got to lean into our faith because God sent his only son for each and every one of us, for the entire world, no matter what part of society we would find ourselves in. And so it's into this idea of this faith that we have A God who loves us, a God that practices no partiality, a God who sees all people as equal. And then it challenges us to express our faith by loving each other as God's blessed children, plain and simple. Our faith is rooted in this idea that God practices no partiality. Now you and I both know that it's part of our human nature. We walk into a room and we don't really want to stand out. If you don't believe me, watch a bunch of junior hires. Watch a bunch of middle school kids. You drop a middle school kid into into the place and immediately they start to divide up. It might be boys on this side and girls on this side. It might be the tall kids and the not the tall kids. It might be kids that wear this type of clothes or kids that wear that type of clothes. Kids that like to color their hair with Kool-Aid and kids that don't like to color their hair with Kool-Aid. It really doesn't matter. No one wants to stand out. They really want to find their tribe, their people, if you will. That's just part of human nature. It's that idea of birds of a feather flock together. But where this becomes a problem is when we intentionally seclude ourselves, intentionally put ourselves in a group to exclude others, or we intentionally put ourselves in a group for the detriment of others that are not like us. And that's where that idea of partiality begins to become a stumbling block for our faith, for what God wants from us. And that's what we've got to strive to break down. So a friend of mine tells me the story. Says that when his grandmother died, that he and his cousins were all in the room together, sort of sitting around telling grandma stories and this, that, and the other. And one of them finally looks around the room at his cousins, decides that he should just tell the truth, and he says, "Well, you know, I was Mima's favorite, right?" Well, you know, everyone looked at him like he was out of his mind, and one of the cousins started smiling. He said, "Well, how do you know that?" He goes, "Well." She told me, she wrote it in my birthday card every year. She said, P.S., you're my favorite. Don't tell your cousins. Well, one of the other cousins started laughing. He goes, he said, she put the same thing in my birthday card. And another cousin of here, year, she said the same thing. Before you knew it, all of the cousins had gotten the same note from their grandmother. P.S., you're my favorite. Don't tell the others. And so they walked around for years thinking they were their grandmother's favorite when the reality was she had no favorites. There was no partiality with her. She loved her grandchildren, period, plain and simple. Well, here's the good news for you and for me. We serve a God that has no favorites. We serve a God that has no preference. We serve a God that might write in our cards, P.S., you're my favorite, don't tell the others. But if we compared in all notes, we all, got the same card. So if we want to put our faith in action as James challenges us to, if we want to, to live our faith outside the walls of the church, outside of our own lives, we've got to aim a bit higher, don't we? We've got to aim higher because we recognize that each of us, all of us are God's favorites and we need to treat each other that way. Every one of us in this room Every one of us watching online, every one of us in this community, every one of us around the world is God's favorite. Huh. Changes things, doesn't it? Well, if we start with that, that there's no partiality with God, then we must realize that we are all equal in the eyes of God. Not only are we God's favorite, but God sees us all equally, no matter what happens, no matter what we do no matter where we are in life. We're all God's favorite and God sees us equally. When I was working in Charlotte, there was a woman named Loopy who was looking around one day and she realized that as the restaurants were growing in Charlotte, people were buying $50 salads and you know $50 dinners of roast duck. And she wondered, where do everyday folks eat? Now, maybe I used a little hyperbole there on the prices, but she looked around and she realized there's just not a restaurant that everyone can come to if they forget their lunch. There's not a restaurant that serves food that everyone likes. So she started looking around. and She said, I'm going to start that restaurant. So she started Loopy's Cafe. And the idea was it was going to be a good meal for the working people and anyone else at a good price. And she served the best food. I mean, who doesn't like mac and cheese for lunch or a chili dog or a chili cheeseburger? or a bowl of chili. Yeah, she liked chili, by the way, or a bowl of chili. But she also had specials. So like, you know, Friday was a fried fish special. Tuesday was spaghetti. There was chicken and dumplings another day. I mean, this is the best food ever. You know, you might call that comfort food or soul food or or just food. I don't know what it was there. And so of course, the trades showed up, the, the plumbers, the electricians, the construction workers, the housekeepers, the delivery drivers. But soon, the word of this food spread around town. And next thing you know, the lawyers and the the federal court judges and the bankers and those that occupied the C-suite, they started showing up, but the door was wide open. Loopy didn't care who walked in. She didn't care that there were suits, people wearing suits sitting next to people wearing tool belts. She didn't care that there were dresses next to folks and people in coveralls. Her table was open. Her restaurant served them all and they loved her food. And she greeted everyone that walked in the door the same way, sweetie, honey, or darling, whatever it is that you get in the Southern restaurant. If you're lucky, you get all three in a meal and you score the Southern trifecta. But anyway, (laughs) her door was open and everyone came in and was loved by Lupi. And she was excited to see them all. Here's the secret. It's the same with our God in heaven. God doesn't care what we drive, whether we drive a car, whether we ride a bus, whether we walk. God doesn't care what we wear. God doesn't care what we do for a living. God cares about the content of our heart. That's what matters most. God doesn't care about the cover of the book, but what we're writing in our hearts and how we're living it in our lives. Because we are all God's children, plain and simple, period. And God loves us equally, plain and simple. In Sunday school, we learned the words red and yellow, black and white. They are all precious and exciting. While we learned that in one respect, we also need to learn to live it out in the world. So if we're going to play, if we're going to live our faith, if we're going to act our faith outside the walls of this church, outside the walls of our homes and our daily lives, then we've got to practice that and see that the people that we run into are all equal in the eyes of God. And then finally, our faith. If we're gonna live our faith, not only do we see that we serve a God that has no partiality, that sees each of us as equals, but it's the same God that challenges us to love our neighbors as ourselves. So take a moment. Look around, look to the people that you're sitting with across the aisle, look to the left, really do. Look, look at each other, look each other in the face, smile, it's okay, they're friendly people, I promise you. Now They look like you, don't they? They kinda look like people you would wanna hang out with, right? They look like, they maybe some of them may look like they've got it all together, that they've got life figured out and you're trying to imagine, man, they've got it all together, I haven't got a clue what I'm doing yet. They've probably got lunch prepared, and they probably bought all their groceries for the week, and I have got nothing in my house, so we're going to have mac and cheese and a chili dog, because that sounds really good now, right? (laughs) If we only knew a restaurant that would serve that. But here's what you don't know. Just by looking at each other, you really don't know what's going on in each other's lives, do you? Someone may look like they've got it together, but they may have fears or anxieties. They may be one string away from it, all falling apart. They are just holding life together by the threads. They may be better at you at something. They may be worse than you at something. But does it matter, really? Because what really matters, right? What really matters is that they are right here in the room with you and you care about them. Chances are, if you're like most of us, you're sitting with the same people you, well, those of you are up front here, you're in a different boat. But you're sitting with the same people you've sat with for years because you're sitting kind of in your spot. So you know each other. And you like each other. So it really doesn't matter what's going on behind the scenes because you care about each other. So then what happens when we walk out the door today? We walk out the door, you're going to run into somebody that you may not know or somebody that you don't know well? Are you going to make a snap judgment about them, about the clothes that they wear, or the zip code they live in, or the school that they attend, or the work that they do? Or the things that separate them from us, the things that make them maybe not a part of our crowd, not a part of our tribe, not a part of our flock. You might even be tempted to say, well, they're not our people. Really? Because remember, we just heard that we serve a God of no partiality, God that sees us as all equal. So therefore, then they are God's children, just like you and I. And therefore, we need to look at them and we need to do what? Treat them just like our neighbors on the pew. Love them for who they are. Love them through their pain, their fear, their hurts. Celebrate their triumphs, but love them like we would want to be loved. So friends, if you watch the TV news, you read the newspaper, we live in a world that wants to put labels on all of us. You're this party or you're that party. You believe in this, you believe in that. You go to this school or you go to that school. We want to sort of try to define who we are and then sort of put us at odds with each other over our differences. And yet God says, "Uh uh-uh, no. Because down deep in the depth of who we are and the words written on our heart, God says, you are my child, period. And I love you, period. And if we start with that, if we look at the people that we see on the street and outside the walls of this church and the world around us at work, tomorrow, at school, no matter where we run into them, if we look at them and we see them not for the labels the world wants to give them, But for the only label that matters, then that changes how we interact with them, doesn't it? If we see each other as children of a God who has no favorites, a God that loves each of us equally, then how can we not love them like we love ourselves? And friends, let me tell you what. Outside the walls of this church is a world that needs to hear that message every single moment of every day. And if we will do just that, see each other as God's favorite, see each other as equal, and love each other as we want to be loved, the world will not only experience that love, but will get that message. And we, my friends, will not just be hearers of God's word, but doers. Amen and amen.